coming up on the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. You want to put the body in an environment where there's heavy forces placed on it. Right. So bone density goes up. Muscle density goes up. Muscle size goes up. Um, body fat storage goes down. Because your body doesn't need a bunch of storage if you're not trying to go long distances. So like, if you're like a sprinter, your body wants to get rid of all that shit. Hello, and welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I'm Brian Grin, and I'm here to give you actionable tips to get your body back to what it once was 5, 10, even 15 years ago. Each week, I'll give you an in-depth interview with a health expert from around the world to cut through the fluff and get you long-term sustainable results. This week, I interviewed author and the founder of the X3 Bar, Dr. John Jakewish. We discuss many topics such as the difference between variable resistance and lifting weights. Is cardio a waste of time? Do you need to be sore to build muscle? Dr. John's thoughts around protein, his dry fasting protocol, and his one tip to get your body back to what it once was. This is definitely an entertaining interview. This was round two, and uh, I really enjoyed it, and I know you will too. So thanks so much for listening, and enjoy the interview. All right. Welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. My name is Brian Grin, and I have Dr. Jay Quish on, founder of X3Bar and author of Weightlifting is a Waste of Time and So is Cardio. This is part two. Welcome to the show. <laughs> hey, thanks. Yeah, I have the book right here uh, in case anyone wants to know what it looks like. So when you search for it, just look for the red cover in the uh, Wall Street Journal bestseller emblem. Uh, yeah. Welcome. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. This is I, I like when I get invited back to a podcast because that probably means I did something good the first time. You know, it's like podcast people, they're like media people. They're never going to tell you you did a terrible podcast. <laughs> so they say, everyone says, oh, it's great. It was just, it was an awesome podcast. I, it was one of my favorite ones. Right. But then when you get invited back, you're like, oh, okay. So they must have meant that. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, I, I yeah. Well, I, I invite people back. Either I've enjoyed the interview or I really enjoy your product. And it was both, but I, I got to say nice. the product, the product has uh, been a, been a game changer for me. And I've actually implemented into my program with my clients. So every client that I get, that I work with, um, that's like part of the program. So yeah. Yes. Big fan. Well, I, I figured we start, um, you know, not everyone listening probably knows the X3 bar. Why don't we talk about the X3 bar and the difference between that and, you know, lifting regular weights. So that would be obviously the difference between variable resistance and uh, normal weightlifting, uh, just so people have mm -hmm. an, uh, you know, have an idea. Yeah. So variable resistance is changing the resistance as you move. And what I did is I, I, was, I invented a medical device a little over 10 years ago that, uh, treats osteoporosis. It's the most effective treatment for osteoporosis the world has ever seen. Beats every drug that's ever been clinically trialed. Uh, and it had to do with bone compression. So you compress a bone from end to end. So I'm pushing away from myself. It's this end to this end of the humerus and compressing that bone. And so that's, that's what the, the clinical trial was on. And I noticed that we're loading the bone only in the positions where people absorb high impact forces. I watched these postmenopausal females 
who have never exercised, not even once in their life. And after six months of using the medical device, they're using six, seven, eight, nine times their body weight. Yeah. Now, professional weightlifters can't do that. But now they're only using it in a very small range of motion. But a lot of the doctors, like some of the doctors at the hospital, this was done in London. Uh, so the uh, British uh, National Health Services participated. So the, the government healthcare system. And uh, they, they, the physicians that were in the test group, so some of the test subjects were actually physicians at the hospital. And they said, like, well, how does this compare to what people normally lift? Because they weren't, like, one of the things that was a prerequisite to this study was that nobody ever had lifted weights before because it's more like the normal population, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, especially in, in that age category. Like some of them were like, yeah, yeah, I was in dance when I was, like, in high school. And you're talking about, like, a 60-year-old woman. And you're like, yeah, okay, that's fine. You're not having any lingering effects from that. Um, so um, – what they, what they were asking was like, how, like these weights are so high and I didn't see that as a problem. Uh, and I think some of them were very leery, you know, like they're putting hundreds of pounds through their hip joint and they're like, can I, can I break something here? And so I, I had to give them the, the research answer, you know, never my opinion when you're talking about somebody's safety. It's like, what do we know from the literature? So, uh, you know, from the literature, Impact is dangerous, but we're not doing impact. We're taking the positions you normally absorb impact in and loading the body with, uh, with, with slow and controlled resistance that is self-applied. So sort of like you can't squeeze your own fist hard enough to break a finger. You have a process called neural inhibition, which shuts you off mm-hmm. before you can do that. Uh, so it's just a safety mechanism. And we have safety mechanisms in the body. So... Right. Instead of designing a computer system that tried to guess what people could tolerate and what people can't, because all of those have been a catastrophic failure thus far. Uh, I just thought, okay, let's do it by comfort. If people are comfortable to create more force, well, then good. They can continue to create more force. If they're not, then they stop automatically based on their own neural inhibitory process. So, so as people were going through this, this process, uh, they were seeing these tremendous forces. And so I, I, I came to understand something like immediately as I'm having this conversation, people who normally lift, beginners put 1.3 times their body weight through their lower extremities. Advanced lifters, for however the American College of Sports Medicine determines what an advanced lifter is because everyone wants to argue this point it's five uh, sorry it's 1.53 times their body weight and you're talking just nor- normal weightlifting for lower extremities 1.5 well yeah i mean i think that's like the top one percent right of the strongest people who have participated in the nains database which is a sample of twenty thousand people uh, it was 20,000 at the time. It grows about 2,000 a year. Okay. Uh, so, so now, I mean, like drug enhanced athletes are not part of that consideration. Sure. Obviously, you're, you know, if, if you are enhanced, they ask you not to participate in the survey. Sure. Because, uh, you know, what good would that do? We, we know something about somebody who's not like anybody else because they take 50 times the amount of testosterone a human should normally have. Like, we're not going to learn anything. <laughs> 
right. from that person. So, so yeah, they're disqualified from the testing. So what we found out is the strongest people are putting 1.53 times their body weight through their, through their lower extremities. But the minimum amount of force that is required to trigger the hip joint to grow, the both sides of the hip joint, both the pelvis and, and the femur, is 4.2 multiples of body weight. That's the minimum. So if people go to the gym and they lift 1.53 and they need 4.2, they're not stimulating any bone growth at all. And so where do high loads come from? So obviously we build bone from somewhere, right? You and I as little kids, somehow our bone density showed up. How did that happen? What happened when we were children? And children absorb very high impact forces. So running, jumping, jumping off of furniture, jumping out of trees. Right. That all kids do it. In fact, little kids, when they run, they pound their heels on the ground. They sound like elephants. They might only weigh 60 pounds, but pounding their heels on the ground as they run. Uh, and, and so like, like, you know, part of it is like, well, why do you do that? Like, God, these kids are so annoying. Well, they don't know why they're doing it, but they're doing it to build bone density. That's normal. Uh, and then as we get older and become heavier, heel striking is something we stop doing and we begin to get on the balls of our feet, toe strike. And you get a lot more agility when you do that as mm -hmm. an adult. Like a sprinter, their heels barely touch the ground. They're toe strike and then they fire right off that same toe. Right. So, so um, the loading dynamics as we age are very interesting, but we can still have the same adaptation that little kids have in building bone at any given time in our lives, just as long as we absorb the proper amount of force. And so when I started looking at how to get the proper amount of force and design the machines and then tested them at this clinical trial, I, I thought, wow, like humans are seven times stronger. I did the calculation, uh, seven times stronger in the, in the impact ready range of motion than they are in the weaker range of motion. Right. Which when you think about that, that really means weightlifting sucks as a stimulus for growing muscle because, because where the muscle is most capable, which is, you know, out here in the, in the stronger range of motion, which is almost just so people not watching, which is almost full extension. Right. If you're talking yeah, about yeah, just, just shy of full extension, right. The arms or legs. Right. Um, that's when you're, you're strongest right. and your weakest is if you're talking about chest press would be right at the bottom where you're just trying to right. get the weight right. off. Where the chest. bars land on your chest. Yeah. Right. Right. So, so thank you for bringing that up. I'm not, I'm not exactly some podcasts is like everybody watches. On yeah. Video. Some it's more of an audio thing. Right. Right. Uh, so, so uh, when, when, when looking at this data, like I thought, wow, like I'm the only one that's really looking at how brutally bad weightlifting is as a stimulus. Now we've had studies on variable resistance already. Right. So, you know, like putting bands on bars and, and, and stuff like that. But with sure. the data I had, I thought, okay, if you have a test group that has them lifting weights and they get, a, you know, sort of an expected result, which is very little strength gain over, let's say, six months, and then you have weights and variants, and, the, and that second group has a huge gain in strength. What's the more important variable, weights or variants? Variants. Obviously, right? <laughs> I mean, as simple as that is, uh, I would say 
of the people who comment on the internet uh, are not smart enough to understand that right there. Uh, so, so it's, it's, it's kind of interesting is first I was proving it with science and that wasn't enough for most people because they can't understand the science. They're just not intelligent. So what I then had to do was explain it via examples. So, you know, we had testimonials of, of people and, and then if somebody's like, well, it's not possible to gain, you know, X amount of mu- like you know, people putting on 20 pounds of muscle in six months. Well, it's not possible to do that. And unless you're on steroids or something like that. And it's just like, okay, it is possible if you're training in the most optimized way, which X3 users are, and you are not. So if you've never seen 20 pounds of growth, I don't care. It's irrelevant because you're not training the same way. So, and then once I start framing the argument like that, they'd be like, okay, let me read that book. And then they'd read the book. And it was like, the book was a huge uh, shift for us. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because it was like, oh, I, I didn't understand that this has all been documented. And I take all those studies, there's 16 studies that show uh, variable resistance is grossly superior to standard resistance. And there's even one of those studies that says, the higher the ratio from top to bottom, so the more extreme the variance, the greater the muscular gain, both size and strength. And so I took it to the furthest degree possible. So when I'm holding X at the bottom of a chest press and five X at the top. Right. Yeah. And you know what? Right around there. For someone that's been lifting for 20 years or so, and I started using it, uh, gosh, about a year and a half ago. Um, mm-hmm. I definitely could tell a major difference. And also, too, um, joint integrity. Um, I used to have some knee pain, some elbow pain from lifting. Sure. I mean, I have not experienced that at all. And I've increased mm-hmm. my load from just going up in the bands as I've progressed throughout it. Um, right. and, and, and so that's another one you want to comment and the, you know, the joint integrity and just helping um, just sustain that throughout the years. Yeah, yeah, that's a mystery for a lot of people who train with bands and then they see X3 and they're like, oh, I already trained with bands. Right. And they just think bands is X3. It's sort of like a tire in a car. It's right, the same right. thing, right? Right. Right, well, it's not the same thing. So uh, well, the problem with a band is you throw a band around your back and you go to do a push-up with a band behind your back and your wrists end up twisting outwardly uh, and you could break a wrist doing that or, or you'll cause extreme pain in your wrist and you won't be able to train for a week or two or maybe you'll cause a chronic injury so you'll never be able to really train correctly again. Uh, and I've, I've seen guys do this. They take, they take an X3 band and then they use it incorrectly outside of the venue of the product. Right. And then they hurt their joints. So like, Using X3 protects your joints. Using bands destroys your joints. So it's in the right context. So I, I snap anybody's head off whenever they're like, oh, I love your bands. And I'm like, yeah, it's not bands. Right. That's one component. There's also a ground plate, right? And then yeah, there's and a, and a bar. Right. Because we've got Olympic to protect bar. the ankles too. Right. right. So there's the Olympic bar and there's a plate you stand on. And the, and the thing is I give like, like I was talking to somebody earlier today who's a, a pilot and he's like, well, I, you know, I don't really have room in my bag to bring the ground plate. So is it really that bad if I don't bring the ground plate? I'm like, I don't know. You want to break an ankle? 
or you want to half-ass all your workouts so you're training so light they don't do anything right which I one mean, yeah no and you can only like just you know, figure it out like either either you figure it out or you make an excuse one of the two right and you can do there are a few exercises you don't need the ground plate for but 80 percent of them or whatever you do yeah you do yeah. you do need the ground the ground plate so yeah it's Absolutely. it's definitely a, a total system um what about um so when did, so the you found the X3. How long have you had you had the X3 out for? How many years? A little over three years. God, is that it? <laughs> Why did I think it was longer? That's yeah. yeah. We launched our, our launch. It was kind of a soft launch on the Dave Asprey podcast. Okay. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure you heard that one. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, the, Dave Asprey. He's a friend of mine, and uh, we had talked about all kinds of research and stuff, mostly about bone density over the years. And then right when I launched this, I'm like, Hey, I got something I want to talk about on your podcast. And, and he and I yeah. actually got together about two months ahead of the podcast. I, I went up to his house in, in, uh, in Victoria and, uh, there he is. Yeah. He's well, I'm not gonna tell everybody where he is <laughs> no, somewhere near Victoria. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, I was, I'm not going to put his address online. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah it's he's been, got a lot of haters, so I'm not going to do that. So it's been um, three three years. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So it was a little over had... three years. And then and then we did a soft launch and uh, it, it went, it, it's just gone great. And the more people that get it. So typically a consumer product has a return rate of 30%. So 30% of the products you ship out come right back to you. Mm-hmm. Because uh, people don't like it, they don't like the color, they're too lazy to work out. Fitness products are are actually on the worst end of consumer products because usually people get something and then they're like, "Oh, this is work. I don't want to do this," and then they send it back. Uh, but what's great about X3 is people see results right away. Like they train with it the first time, and then within you know two days later, they look different and they look better, and they're like, "Oh." This actually works. Unlike all the other crap I've tried, this must have triggered something. So while they might not understand the science, they understand they look better in the mirror. And mm-hmm. so we have a we have a one percent return rate. Wow. Yeah. So we sold a hundred thousand units, and most of them are just still out there. And you rarely see one on eBay. Right. Uh, and you know, obviously, like some of them end up there. Like somebody has one and they die or something. Like you get a hundred thousand of anybody and somebody will drop off. Uh, so, you know, there's some, some things like that, but really um, not a big secondhand market for it. People love them. Now let's talk briefly maybe about, I know your book and part of the title is talking about cardio as well and specifically mm. cr- chronic cardio. Uh, maybe speak on that and how that, how that you know, essentially is, could be a waste. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, living is a waste of time. So is cardio. So now, if you want to be an endurance athlete, if you want to be able to run long distances sure. or bike long distances, you for that. Oh, that don't do it if your goal is losing body fat. Because here's what cardio does: you're trying to get your body conditioned to do a lot of work with a small amount of fuel. So if the body never changed, it would just burn all the excess fuel, right? 
you know, right. thermodynamics, as every idiot trainer says. I mean, they try and apply the rules and science of melting an ice cube to getting rid of body fat. That's when someone says thermodynamics, stop listening. They're just trying to sound smart. And they don't know what the hell they're talking about. Um, because well, when someone says, or, or, or calories in, calories out, you're bullshit. That's not how it works. Like your body is not as simple as an ice cube. And when you want to change something in the body, there's a whole system of hormones that control a whole bunch of stuff that are trying to help you be optimized for your environment. So here's the problem. You start doing cardio and your body's like, oh, we we, we want to go long distances with a small amount of fuel. So to optimize that, we're going to get rid of muscle because muscle is just a big engine that's running all the time. We want a small engine. So when you lose weight from cardio or you're losing weight, you're losing muscle. So you're getting weaker. It's like you see like like women who do cardio, they always complain they don't have an ass, like their butt disappears. Well, I, I think you can really I think you can really see now that the fact that the Olympics are going on and you watch track and field. I mean, would you rather look like the long distance runner or the oh sprinter? yeah, the sprinters look right. absolutely like statues. Unbelievable. Sure. The distance runners so look the, like there's your answer. Sick. Yeah, there's yeah. your answer right look, there. Like I can say, is this the COVID ward? You know, I mean, like, just they look terrible. Um, Why don't we so, talk about? Okay, go ahead. You want to? No, no. So, like, you upregulate cortisol when you do cardio, right? And cortisol's job is to get rid of muscle and to preserve body fat. So your body is telling itself, "We need to stay as fat as possible as long as possible." Now. Last I checked, I've never met anybody, and I've talked to thousands of people about their fitness goals. I've never met anybody that said they wanted to be weaker and fatter. I've, Have you? I, I, um, one person. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's definitely a lot of people that get weaker and fatter because they follow stupid advice, but nobody wants that. And so I just tell them, like, that's what cardio is going to do for you. And also... The whole, like, I want to be the perfect cross-trained athlete. And so they do a ton of cardio and they do a ton of strength training. And they end up looking like a guy who's never worked out ever. And it's because all these stimuli are conflicting. Right. Like, you want to put the body in an environment where there's heavy forces placed on it. Right. So bone density goes up. Muscle density goes up. Muscle size goes up. Um, Body fat storage goes down. Because your body doesn't need a bunch of storage if you're not trying to go long distances. So, like, if you're, like, a sprinter, your body wants to get rid of all that shit. Right. So, like, think of yourself. It's like, do I want to look like a Formula One car? You know, the absolute leanest, the absolute most refined machine that can deliver the greatest amount of power you know, no, no regard towards distance, but just explosiveness, high power to weight ratio, that kind of thing. And so that would be much more like the formula one car. Nobody wants to be the economy car. Right. No one wants, it's to like, rent. no one, you go to rent a car. You really don't want to rent the economy car. Right. I mean, sometimes but, you do because you don't care. You want to save gas. You and you're going <laughs> to slow, you know, 
whatever. What about, but right, like, what, I mean, what about, let me tell you, I don't drive an economy car. I think you know what I drive. <laughs> I think you just saw me in it. I did. I did. Yes. What about the myth around muscle damage required for go- growth? Let's touch oh, on that. Yeah. I knew yeah. Right. Yeah. Muscle damage is inversely related to growth. Mm. So people used to say you like workouts, you tear the muscle and then it repairs itself and gets bigger. So oversimplification, false. it's false. It's, right. But oversimplification is another word for wrong. And that's a perfect example of simplifying something to the point where it's just incorrect. So what happens is you can damage a muscle while you're exercising. And actually, cardio athletes do it more than strength athletes. Yeah. Like if you do, if you look at look, uh, muscle cells under a microscope of like a marathon runner, cells are destroyed. Right. All that. Pounding. And so yeah. their protein synthesis has to do with repairing the muscle just to bring it back to where it was. In fact, lifters too, when they have damage, they have to repair the muscle to bring it back to where it was. And if they have a really like, like people who like are always trying to mix it up uh, or, you know, what else do they say? Like Like, muscle confusion, the muscle into growth. Yeah. Muscle confusion. Muscle confusion. So muscle confusion is absolute bullshit. It it never existed. It's an idiotic idea. It was always an idiotic idea and it's been disproven multiple times. So what happens is, yeah, they shock the muscle, all right. They create a lot more damage in it. And then the body is repairing the damage and never letting them grow. Right. It's only when you stop damaging the muscle and can still take the muscle to fatigue that you're triggering growth. So and- the last 60 pounds of muscle that I've gained, which is basically all the muscle I've gained in my life other than during puberty, uh, that was, I, I've never had soreness. Never soreness. And, and I no, attest to that never too. Never even like, yeah. yeah, I mean, never, you know, like sometimes like right in here, like, you know, like somebody does a bench press day right, and, right, you know, right you, in the you chest. do yeah. that, you do that to your friend and he's like, oh, yeah. why are you doing that to me? That hurts so bad. Right. 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 And, and, you know, I do that to my friends who work out now and I'm like, yeah, it's because your workout is shit. And by the way, you're still small. Right. I attest to that. I have not, I've used the X3 for a year and a half, never been sore. I used to be sore all the time and I've put on, you know, over five pounds, you know, over five pounds of muscle and I'm actually getting a DEXA scan tomorrow. So I think it's going to be more Mm. than that. I haven't gotten one for six months. So before you do the DEXA scan, what I want you to do is to do the U S army test and Google it. It, There'll be uh, it's on like calculators.net or whatever. It's public information. And there's an equation that takes, for males, it's a neck measurement below the larynx. So this is larynx. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, your Adam's apple right here. Right. So you want to measure, you, you, so you get the top of your traps because okay. it's, it's trying to determine your muscularity. Okay. It's actually easy. easy to, it's kind of right where my collar goes for the rugby shirt I'm wearing. Um, and then your waist measurement right around your belly button. That's the test? And that's it. Just two measurements. I could tell you, you know, I could... first thing in the morning. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like literally this, this is the way I, I, I think this is the way to test body fat. Also, if you go into your DEXA scan and you drink a bunch of water, mm. like every, I think it's every 16 ounces is like a pound of water. Okay. So like you, tr- if you drink like a liter of water, like it'll show that you're, you gained a couple of pounds of muscle. Yeah. 
or if you go in dehydrated, it'll show that you lost a couple pounds of muscle because a DEXA scan only determines fat versus whatever is not fat. Right. So like, okay. like I can, I, I took, I took a DEXA scan once I drank two 16 ounce glasses of water and it showed I gained two pounds of muscle in, I mean, in like the course of 10 minutes. Okay. Yeah. So well, something to keep in mind. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. And I mean, I can sort of, you know, you can tell, I can tell, I mean, I, do I need a DEXA scan? I, I think it's just something cool to, to sort of track progress. Data points are great. Sure. But you just got to know the limitations yeah. of the data collection apparatus. Why, sure. why, don't, why don't we talk a little bit about protein uh, and the sort of the anabolic window regarding consuming protein and um, yeah, your just thoughts about that. I mean, obviously I know you have a product that a fermented protein that you guys sell uh, mm -hmm. called Fortigen. Is that correct? That's right. Yep. And so what, uh, so what I'm drinking right now. There you go. Um, how do you base that? And in, in as far as when you drink that and, you know, when, as far as your protein intake. So I get one gram per pound of body weight. Okay. Uh, in protein. Now it turns out that once you get one gram per pound of body weight, you're going to natural sources. Uh, also like I avoid whey protein. That's garbage. Only 18% of that is usable by the body. Mm. So I see no point, uh, in even a good quality way. There's no such thing. Okay. It's like a good quality prostitute. Well, what, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's garbage either way you look at it. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's like way is you 18% of it is usable by the body. Hmm. And, and by the way, way used to be trash. They used to just throw it in the landfill. Uh, it's, it's a byproduct. It's a waste product of milk production. So the reason it's, it became popular was because the price of garbage is close to free. Sure. And so they get all these dairies to like give the whey, which was just powder, you know, or it was just, you know, kind of a sludge uh, paste that they dehydrated. And they were like, well, we were going to throw this away. But if you guys want it and you want to package it, we'll sell it to you for next to nothing. And so that's where Way came from. And that was in the 80s. It was uh, Dan Duchesne, who was like the first one uh, to really go like, look, this, this stuff is like practically free. Like to just put it to use. Now, he knew it was garbage quality, but it was cheap. So we could package it and tell bodybuilders it's the greatest thing in the world. And because they barely know how to spell or read or write. It'll be fine. They'll just buy it. And he was right. They just bought it like fools. And, you know, you look in a way and like, well, like how it's used by a body. Only 18% of it is, is, in, is the proper amino acids. And then the rest of it's completely unusable. So, you know, you drink like a, a whey shake and then you go to urinate and there's like foam. It looks like you're peeing beer. That's nitrogen. That's, it's just, it's just waste product. Like all that way just turned into waste. So what when is, you, okay. when you get, when you drink two big shakes in a day and you think, you know, you, you really got, uh, you know, two like, you know, like a hundred grams of protein. Right. What Not you right. really got was 18 grams of protein and the rest of it just goes right to you. And, and your product Fortigen is a fermented protein. Uh, and how did you come about with that? Yeah, it was a cancer treatment. 
And uh, it was it, it was effectively combating muscle wasting. Uh, it's a lot more expensive in a way, but you know it's got to go through a fermentation process. Mm. So you get the fermentation to grow, and the bacteria it'll grow on it'll grow on meat, which is where we should be getting it. We used to get it; our ancestors got it, but mm. it'll grow in just about anything. Uh, and so um, anything what, organic. Where do you so, get where do you get it from? Where do you source it from? Uh, it's lab grown. Okay. I mean, in a, in a pharmaceutical quality facility. Got it. Uh, yeah. And so we grow uh, the cultures. And then once the bacteria dies off and just the byproduct, just the fermentation byproduct is left there, it's completely clean. Uh, there's no bacteria left in it at all. Uh, and then it's the most powerful protein in the world. And mm-hmm. uh, like I can drink. You know, this, this much, this is a 32 ounce cup. Okay. I put 32 ounces of water. Right. And four scoops of Fortigen. And that's 200 grams of protein. And you're drinking that throughout the day? No, no. It just takes me about, I don't know, 45 minutes or something. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Um, yeah. What about... Uh, I know. Are you still doing? Obviously, you're still doing carnivore. Mm-hmm. Nice with fasting. <clears throat> yep. Okay, so you're doing one or two meals a day. Oh, so I changed my protocol a little bit. So <laughs> that's what I figured. We all change it over the years, right? You learn. Well, so you, you, you don't learn it. Like I, I learned a lot from the standard fasting protocols, and right. uh, as soon as somebody brings something to my attention that I could potentially learn from, yeah. Uh, I'll try it and document it. And then, and I'll do that while I'm pulling together all of the clinical information. And then I'll, uh, I'll kind of report back to everyone and show what I found from a research perspective and from what I observed. But, um, so what's your routine right now? My new protocol, funny thing, I developed it because I thought it was easier to follow. And I've had nothing but bitching and complaining uh, from a group of people on the internet. But also, you got to take it with a grain of salt because it's like trolls. Like, as soon as you're successful, you have haters. And they're just driven by jealousy. Like, trolling is all, all about jealousy. No, nobody, nobody goes and finds, like, the guy that got last place in the Olympia, you know, or, or, or you know, the, the baseball team that never made it to the playoffs. And it's just like... You idiots should kill yourselves. Like, no one says that. Like, the losers are ignored. It's the winners people chase after with hate comments. Babe Ruth said the loudest booze would come from the cheap seats. No, poor people. They're losers, and they're angry about being losers. So they got to take it out on, on, uh, on the baseball players in front of them. So, you know, I, they had that figured out back then. Babe Ruth figured it out. Uh, and... He wasn't a scientist. He was just able to use his eyes. So, um, yeah, the, um, how did I get on this? Well, you were going to do track. Yeah. See, you're telling me about what, what you're eating and fasting. Routine. Oh yeah. Yeah. And oh my God, I have so many haters from this shit. Um, okay. So I, I was like, I want to make, I, I want to come up with a dietary program where maybe I can bring some carbs back in and use them for beneficial reasons. Now there's sure. two 
ways you can use carbohydrates that aren't completely stupid and just making you fat. Uh, one is replenishing muscle glycogen after a resistance training workout. Okay. The other one is while you are doing endurance training. Okay. So if I had the misfortune of having to run a marathon, right? I, I've done I've done triathlons before. Okay. I mean, even though I knew they were completely damaging my body, just so I could, you know, like I did it. I tried it. You know, that, that way, like I also tried veganism. So when somebody's like, well, you've never done this, I yeah, yeah, I have uh so so i want to be able to say that. so uh tried these things and um what i noticed so you added back in carbs <sighs> what type of carbs did you add in so well it's it's more complicated than that I, okay. I needed to create a situation where the body would become very depleted because I, I, the biggest thing, I actually just did a poll on the, on the extra users group and tens of thousands of people participated <clears throat> and we have 30,000 members in the, in the X3 users group. And so you're in there. Well, right? I should, I should be, I should be at the top. No. <laughs> yeah, you should, well, we should promote this podcast in there because uh, 30,000 people yeah, um, and they're also fanatical. In fact, in fact, there's this Mandalorian thing where sometimes I tell people not to deviate from the program because like, you know, don't make up your own shit. A lot of thought and science went into the right way to do it. Right. And then, you know, I just said, because I like the Mandalorian, I just said, this is the way. And then there'll be like 10 guys that are like, this is the way. This is the way. <laughs> and, then, and then everybody started calling my fans a cult. <laughs> it's like, no, they're just quoting a TV show, but. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if, if there's going to be a cult following, people should follow X3, like That's cult not members, because right. it's, it's awesome and it works. Anyway, right. so so what I what I ended up what I ended up doing is I tr I wanted to make something easy that people would actually follow. It's sort of like, what's the best diet? I mean, we could debate about that all day, but sure, the sure. ultimate answer is the one people will follow. You right. can say carnivore, and people won't do it. Right. You can say intermittent fasting, people won't do that either. Sure. Uh, so, you know, like, like the most Googled thing in nutrition, and I did an analysis with, uh, with let, Google Analytics. Let me guess. <laughs> Go ahead. Keto. Mm, no, no, oh, no, no. It's okay. how, how to lose weight without oh. changing my diet. Oh, <laughs> well, I'm not surprised. Right. It's like, okay, if you're obese and you got that way by eating the way you eat, why would you ever imagine there was a way you could continue eating in the right. way that made you obese and all of a sudden you not be obese? Well, everyone like, wants why, the magic pill. Why would you pill. think that? Yeah. Everyone wants the magic pill. So. Well, there is no magic pill. I and know. like, if you understand how physiology works, like, like, if, if you you're shoveling garbage into the system, right? The body can't, the body can't do it. Like if you give the wrong building blocks, it can't build anything. You know, go go to a construction site and say, I'm going to take away all your wood and cement. I'm just going to give you nails. Right. Build a house out of that. You didn't need a strong right. foundation. So what what did you learn? What did you come up with? So what I what I tried to do was. Um, there's a couple of things I thought, okay. okay, how do I amplify the need for carbohydrates? 
how do I make it so we deplete more muscle glycogen? Right. Well, there was one way I could think about doing it. And then, then you could get away with having more glycogen uh, or more, you know, more reason for your body to make glycogen out of glucose. Um, so it, it also happened to be right in line with the way I dropped the most body fat in my life, which was in high school when I wrestled. So I wrestled in high school. Uh, I was lousy at it, but I liked the conditioning. Uh, and mostly because we were dry fasting all the time. So no water, no food. And what happens when you have no water and no food, how does your body get water? Probably takes it from its own. Well, it takes it. You're, you're 90% there. It takes it from the only tissue in your body. That's not vascular. There's only one kind. It's body fat. So it pulls water out of body fat. And when enough water gets pulled out of a fat cell, it destroys itself. That's permanent weight loss or more permanent than just using the energy that's in a fat cell that can be replenished the next time you eat. So, because the problem with a lot of fat cells is they do this and then they do this and they do this and then they do this. It's like, where are you? Nowhere. That's where you are. Uh, So, dry fasting. Dry fasting. So what I've been doing. Okay. And another thing I noticed these big changes with like refeeding days and stuff like that, which is really just, you know, like somebody's word for like a cheat day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the, the problem is when you, when you're like, like sugar is as addictive as cocaine. Right. And there's two studies on this, two really good studies. It fits all the properties of an addictive drug. doesn't do the damage as quickly sure. as cocaine. Like cocaine will screw your heart up with one use. Like it'll give you cardiac damage. It'll give you arterial damage too. So really not a fan of that. But sugar's not nearly as bad, but it has the same addictive properties. Sure. Like we want it. We think about it all the time. Right. And the more you have it, the more you have it, the more you want it. So when people are like, well, what do you do for a cheat day? I'm like, do alcoholics get cheat days? You know anybody that's an alcoholic? It's just like, yay, tomorrow's Sunday, so I get to do a bunch of heroin tomorrow. Like, nobody says that. Like, that's crazy. It's like you have a a sickness. It's an addiction. If you have a problem with, with, uh, you know, nutritional control, the last thing you want to do is feed the process that makes you out of control. So just, you know, like either limit or completely get rid of that stuff. Sure. But with dry fasting, you need in your, in your hydration window. So what I do is I go 20 hours with no food, no water. Okay. Then when I get to the four hours, when I have to, when you're going to, when eat. I have to, re, yeah, you know, uh, a resynthesize glycogen, rehydrate and eat. Well, now a carbohydrate is a benefit. And so this is also part of like the hyperplasia protocol. So you, you burn up your muscle glycogen when you're exercising, but you want to shove as much glycogen back in as you're recovering. So I eat my 40 grams of glucose tablets before my workout. 
So like as I'm working out, it's just ramming back in there and I'm getting like a pump like crazy. And I'm rehydrating during this. And so I can have more water and that first that 40 grams, but then I can have a little bit, I can have about half, it's about half my body weight. And there was just, I, I, there was a study I was waiting for, which was a meta-analysis on this. So putting a bunch of research studies together uh, that was just published a couple months ago. I knew this was coming. So I was like, I can't wait to see what they found. And what they found was exactly what I thought they'd find, which was you can take about half your body weight in, in pounds, in grams of carbohydrates, and you won't be able to store body fat with that at all. It just goes right back into muscle glycogen. And you, you, you can do so in an eight-hour window. I choose to do it in a four-hour window. Okay. So you're doing a 20-hour dry fast. Right. Every day. And then you have a four hour window there. And you said you were doing 40 grams of glucose tablets. Right. So putting that in your water when you're sort of, um, and then you're, no, I just chew the tablets, chew the tablets. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then you do your workout Mm -hmm. and then, and then you sort of, then I have dinner. Yeah. Normal, you know, normal dinner. And that normal dinner is, so is just, Carnivore, or you or you meat, yeah, yeah, it's okay. At least ninety percent meat. So yeah. yeah, I mean there there can be some other carbohydrates in there, right? Now so I'm kind of picky about the carbohydrates. Like, like I like rice because it doesn't make you crazy and want like, you know, yeah, like white chocolate, rice. everything. Yeah, like, like white rice is one. A lot, not a lot of like anti nutrients in there, right? Um, like I like I like Indian food. Uh, you know, so there's like the heavy cream yeah. and the sauce, which is fine. And then the sure. meat, which is fine. And then there's rice. Okay. Interesting. So, so you, the dry fast, I mean, I'm, I just put a disclaimer. I would work your way into something like a dry fast, right? I mean, this is something mm-hmm. that you've, that evolved over time and you did normal. Yeah. Fasting. Do a 48 hour water fast first. Right. But like, and also like a dry, fast, like any, Okay. Here's why I do this seven days a week and I do not deviate because one thing I've noticed that's a problem with fasting, with carnivore, with all kinds of flexible dieting programs is you're making a massive change to the amount of calories you're taking in, which impacts the amount of water you can hold. I mean, even protein is like two grams of water per gram of protein. Mm -hmm. So you're really screwing with your hydration. And when people go through these phases, and I think it's, I blame bodybuilding for this because in preparation to a contest, there's a lot of periodization of different types of nutrition. Mm-hmm. So they, they like go zero carbohydrate for a couple months and then just get lean as hell. And then they go back to like, I don't know, it's like 300, 400 grams of carbohydrates a day to try and get, the, mus- the muscles just swell with glycogen. And, you know, you'd think because that's readily available energy, your body would just feel great in that period of time. Like you're just supercharged. Everybody that tells me they feel like absolute garbage. The worst feeling they've ever had. Just like you're sick. They're like, do I have the flu? What's wrong with me? And here's the problem. Your, your body is always looking for homeostasis. And you're screwing with that so hard when you make these massive changes. And so 
what I'm trying to do is build a program that you can just do every day and not think about. And then you don't have headaches. You don't have diarrhea. You don't have, you don't feel ill. You don't like, I feel fantastic all day, every day yeah. because I eat the one meal a day. I have my Fortigen at the same time. My hydration has peaks and valleys, but only on a 24 hour scale, which gives me uh, dry fasted benefits. So I'm burning more body fat. Now I'm going to do this. And I'm also eating in a deficit. So yes, I mean, like people were noticing, like my face is getting leaner. Uh, everything's getting leaner. There's more veins sticking out of me. And, you know, for those watching on video, you can, you can see that uh, I'm very vascular. So like all these things, I'll do this until I run out of body fat to lose. And, and was, people always ask me that question. Well, what's going to happen when you're just out of body fat to burn? And I'm like, well, you, yeah, that's I get do. that question a lot, but I've never met mm. a person who had that problem. Yeah, I was going to say, you're, yeah, you, never I don't think, once. What, what was the different, biggest differences between just doing your normal fasting and the dry fasting? What would you say the biggest differences you found? Oh, it's so some estimate that you burn body fat three times faster with dry fasting. Um, there's no real way to prove that. Right. That's just people who are in the fasting lifestyle and sort of the science of fasting that have made those observations. So I really wish they weren't out there like espousing that because there's no way to measure it and it makes them look like frauds. Now, did, did, what about your personal experience? What did you feel different? It's right about there. <laughs> What's that? I mean, they're, they're not wrong through experience, but there's, not, there's just not a good way to measure it. Um, also, because in like DEXA scan is like the gold standard of body composition. But the problem is when you're dehydrated, your DEXA scan looks like you're losing muscle like crazy, but you're not. Mm -hmm. So did you find it was, did you find you were different mentally or did you find it was difficult to do in the beginning? Oh yeah. You no, know? mental focus. So for, for me, it was not difficult at all. Okay. Like I knew, so I have an advantage over people, normal people who try this. I understand it scientifically with great proficiency first. So no matter what I feel, I know what's actually happened. Now, that's not how most people approach problems. You know, they, they're told to do something and they try it and they're like, well, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like, we'll see how this goes. And, you know, all of a sudden they like have a hiccup, literally. And they're like, uh-oh, something's not right. I should probably eat a pizza. Mm -hmm. You know, like that, that's how most people behave. But uh, the more okay. that I write about this, the more I talk about it, the more podcasts I'm on, the more people are going to go, okay, yeah. I mean, like I tried that. I screwed it up. I'm going to do it right this time. Okay. So you didn't, yeah. so it didn't take you that long to get used to it. Um, interesting. Not okay. at all. No. In fact, I, now that I've done dry fasting, I will never not dry fast. Wow. I will never do. Now uh, also, so like I, once a month, I like doing a 72 hour fast to completely regenerate my, my white blood cells, my okay. T cells. Um, I do it dry. So hmm. no liquid three days, no food three days. Um, Interesting. you know, it's really weird. Nothing bad happens, you know, just feel absolutely fantastic. One last point I wanted to touch on, um, growth hormone increase. Can you explain? Mm. Yeah. That, uh, with, with the X3 and how that can trigger that. 
So the only meta-analysis I have ever performed and will ever perform because they suck to write. Mm. Like, because those who doesn't, don't know what a meta-analysis is, you, you take all studies on one subject and you have to be very careful with the inclusion and exclusion criteria mm-hmm. of what studies you want to look, because that can bias your result. Like, like a lot of nutritional meta-analyses, like if you look at the inclusion and exclusion criteria and then you look at the funding source and it was like Nabisco, you're like, oh, okay. Right. Yeah. Right. Gotta, See what you, gotta, you did there. Yeah. Yeah. And or, or Nabisco also funds a lot of like institutes of nutrition. Right. Solely. So, you know. Yeah, you whenever you see a study, for. you got to see who's funding yeah. it. So yeah, what, yeah, yeah, yeah. What was so, the big, yeah. Yeah, so so I did this meta-analysis, but I didn't have any bias in my inclusion and exclusion criteria. Okay. What I did was I looked at studies that destabilize the body, usually with whole body vibration. And so that's, that's a consistent stimuli, making the body unstable. Right. And what did that do with the blood work that was done pre and post? And what did that do pre and post six months? What did it do pre and post 10 minutes later? Like what, what was the result? Ultimately, in every study, growth hormone went up massively, especially those that added load with the stability firing. So if I stand on one leg and bend my knee, there is stability firing. But if I stand on one leg and bend my knee and I'm on an X3 and I'm holding a bar across my shoulders, that's got 200 pounds on it. And I'm doing a one legged squat. My growth hormone is going through the roof. So instability along with load. Instability plus loading. Yeah. Is that why you came out with uh, that vibration plate? That's right. Right. Because to further amplify the effect. Now X3 does it on its own. Right. But when you do X3 under vibration, then it's a tremendous stimulus. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I was curious about that. Um, Well, yeah, this was, uh, (laughs) this was good. Um, Some new stuff from the last time we talked. Um, Yeah. Yeah. This was great. I'll I'll end with one last question. I asked you the last time, which was like seven months ago. um, Mm -hmm. What would you give one tip? to an individual maybe in their 40s and 50s and 60s that wanted to get their body back to what it once was maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago? What would you tell, give that one tip you'd give that person? I'd tell them to read my book, <laughs> which I didn't have seven months ago. Or did I? No. I did. It might have been you, just, you just yeah, I was going to say, I think it was just out because I remember. Yeah, because I, I think it was, yeah, it was like September when the book came out. Okay. So yeah, that makes sense. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Just like, I put all the answers in the book and I've never met a person that actually read the book that wasn't a raving fan. Now, there's people who buy the book and don't know what's in it and don't read it and bitch about it. But, you know, or, or my, my favorite criticism, it's just, just a commercial for his products. Mm. And I'm like, okay, I described the rationale, right? but I didn't put like a discount code in there. Right. Like, I don't know. Like yeah, no. books are written about subjects that often involve people going out and buying stuff. So that's just life. 
right. No, there's plenty of science and you talk, you get into nutrition. There's plenty of other uh, things. And there's, there's, yeah. there's 250 scientific references in there right. and it's a 265 page book. Well, Dr. Jaquish, this was fun. Awesome. Thanks for having me again. This was yeah. good. I appreciate it. A lot of good info and, um, thanks so much. Yep. Hey, Get Lean, Eat Clean Nation. Are you a man between the ages of 40 and 60 years old looking to lose inches around your waist, have significantly more energy throughout the day, and gain muscle all while minimizing the risk of injuries? Well, I'm looking for three to five people to work one-on-one with in my Fat Burner Blueprint Signature Program, which I've developed by utilizing my 15 years experience in the health and fitness space. This program is designed specifically for those committed to making serious progress towards our health goals over the next six months. We will focus on sleep, stress, nutrition, meal timing, and building lean muscle. If this sounds like a fit for you, email me at brian at briangrin.com with the subject line blueprint. That's brian at briangrin.com with the subject line blueprint. Thanks for listening to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I understand there are millions of other podcasts out there and you've chosen to listen to mine and I appreciate that. Check out the show notes at briangrin.com for everything that was mentioned in this episode. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend or family member that's looking to get their body back to what it once was. Thanks again and have a great day.